Well, good morning. Good morning. Delighted to be here with you this morning. I am wearing this kind of a blue-green shirt in defiance of the fact that it's supposed to be spring, and yet it snowed like crazy here, and it looks like winter. So look out the window. There's still snow all over the tops of the houses. Most of it melted yesterday because the sun was out. We thank the Lord for that. It's it's supposed to be spring. I knew it would happen last week. You may recall I taught a message on spring cleaning. Uh, shame on me for mentioning the word, I guess, before uh, the season has gotten here. But hopefully soon, and so I'm wearing my spring shirt, the springiest color that I've got anyway. We love spring. New life, everything blooming again, leading up to a Resurrection Sunday and Holy Week that actually comes later this year, but anyway. Well, today we're going to talk about a very controversial title to some, Seven Symptoms that Christians May Be Dying Spiritually. I'm going to talk about the title and then get into that, and we're going to begin it today. We're going to do part one today, and we'll probably finish it up next week. But before we begin, let me pray a sin. Father God, we thank you for the sunshine that, that warms us and that will melt this snow and we thank you for the spring that is imminent, is coming, and let us take a inventory of our own lives as we look at this message today to make sure that we are growing and blossoming and blooming in the spring, renewing, reinvigorating, regenerating all the time by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would not be given these signs or symptoms that we are spiritually dying uh, like those we know in the world who are dying apart from Jesus Christ. And so, uh, by your Spirit, guide us in our time and let every word uh, speak to us for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the title suggests something that really isn't true. We know that if we are born again in Christ, we won't die spiritually. We know that if we are lost and apart from relationship with Christ, and we'll spend eternity in hell. It's just Matter of fact, the words of Jesus, these are not my words, I'm just a messenger throughout the scripture, and especially in the ministry of Jesus, he talked about that a great deal. And so if we're born again in Christ, then what Jesus said would be that evidence or three things. First, that we would obey his commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then you'll love other people. You'll love one another. You'll love your enemies or all the different loves. So we obey his commandments, we love one another, and then the third thing is that we bear fruit. We make disciples. Remember his in the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples. So if we're loving one another, obeying his commands, and bearing fruit, we are in our lives focused on that, or that's the desire of our heart, is to live in obedience, to study the word so we know what to obey and how, it, and how obedience, what it looks like to Jesus and that we love people. You know, that gets harder and harder to do. And if we're honest, we all have to admit it. As Christians, we look at the lost world. We look at our nation. We focus on this country. We look at what's going on around the world right now with antichrists that are uh, trying to destroy the world, take over the world. And we know that uh, that will ultimately happen. It's, we're on a march to Revelation. And don't forget that. Don't forget that we are. But it's hard to love people because Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And as Christians in the United States, we're going to come more and more under persecution. 
We already are beginning to see it now. Many have felt it. Gigi and I support a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, and I get these magazines and calendars and notifications of where to pray for people all over the world who are being killed for their faith, who are speaking up and speaking out, and they're being slaughtered for that. They are martyrs. There will be martyrs again in this country at some point. There will be. Trust me, when the Antichrist takes over and those who are left behind, those Christians, who, those people who come to Christ after the rapture, when the church and the, the meaning of the people, the Christians in the world are taken on to heaven and those who are left behind have to live through those seven years of the tribulation, it's going to be awful. And there will be some that will come to Christ. We, we know the Bible speaks directly to that. But in the meantime, we're going to be more and more persecuted. It's difficult now. If you speak the name of Christ, if you stand up in your workplace, if you're speaking the name of Christ, if you're refusing to go through some of these things that the workplaces in America demand, that you honor all these things that God hates, that's a difficult place to be. That is a difficult place to be right now. And we pray for you, that you'd be able to be strong and that you wouldn't lose your jobs over these things, but it's coming. And some are going to do that because that's where we are. And yet Jesus said to love these people, to love them. And to pray for them. Today, we're going to probably get through the first three of these symptoms to help us understand what they are and then how the physical symptoms apply spiritually. And I hope it's helpful to you just to, to help us grow in our faith, to grow in understanding what God's word says. And more than anything else, to get us engaged in the war. We're in a war. I talk about spiritual warfare a lot. Those who preach the word of God in the New Testament talk about spiritual warfare a lot. That's what's going on. It is so the first symptom is pretty simple. So it's a stuffy nose, a stuffy nose. As we go through allergy season and cold, cold and flu season in the winter and then allergies in the spring, running into the summer, a lot of us, and we have terrible allergies in our family, and I've had them really bad all of my life. We've taken allergy shots before. My children took allergy shots. Don't know if they did any good, but you know, with a stuffy nose, we've got a stuffed up nose. You, you, ultimately, you can't smell anything, right? It affects your smell and your taste. But when your nose just gets all stuffed up, the the world doesn't smell. The food in the kitchen doesn't smell, and uh, you know, when you walk outside, you know you really got a stuffed up nose when you walk outside and. Uh, you or someone that works in your yard has put those bags of fertilizer and compost stuff out there all over flower beds. You see it all over the neighborhood and different places where there's shrubbery and trees, and they dump that stuff everywhere. And if you can't smell that stuff because it is manure, plain and simple, then you know that you have a seriously stuffy nose. Well, we get that, but what's a spiritual analogy to a stuffy nose? Well, it's a really dangerous symptom. It is a very dangerous symptom because what it, the, the, the spiritual analogy, the parallel to that is, is this. That sin, sin no longer smells. Sin no longer has that wretched stink that it should. And I'm talking about our sin as well as the sins of others. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we're going to say that our noses don't really get stopped up as much when we look at the sin of the world and the sin of others. <laughs> the sins of others really stink. Well, I can't believe she did that. 
Can you believe those people are doing that? Can you believe those people believe that? They are sinners and it stinks. The Pharisees were a lot like that. The Pharisees thought every other sin of every other person in the time of Jesus and from the time the Pharisees were created as a group, that sin stinks. It's awful. And they called it out all the time. And what Jesus was very careful to do, and he did throughout his ministry, and that's why they hated him so, was he said, well, huh, what about your sin? What about your sin? And so he pointed out their sin. And I think we will all agree that none of us, none of us like to have our sin pointed out. I don't mind looking at the sins of others. I don't mind talking about that over lunch with friends about, oh, what those horrible Democrats are doing or those idiot Republicans or this person or that person, uh, this group that doesn't believe what we believe. It's a horrible attitude for a Christian to have. It defies everything that Jesus told us to do here. But we love to point out the sins of others. And what Jesus was quick to do with the Pharisees and even with his own disciples was point out their own sin. So my question to you is, does your own sin stink as much as the sins of others? It should. And in fact, it should stink worse than anything else. But here's what happens when we get this stopped up nose and we can't breathe. And as a little boy who grew up uh, with all that a lot where you couldn't breathe and you just you have to be mouth breathing because your nose was so stopped up, you cannot smell anything. Be very aware, my brother and sister, be very aware when sin no longer stinks, when you can no longer smell it, whether it is the sin of our culture, our nation, or our own sin. Let me give you some examples here what the Word of God has to say. In Proverbs 13, 5, we read this. The righteous hate what is false, and we do. We hate what is false. The wicked or the sinner makes themselves a stench or a stink, and they bring shame on themselves. They do, and we know that. We know that. But so do we. So do we. Again, the sin stinks. Sin is that rot, rotten, putrefying smell well, how do we know that? Well, in Isaiah 65, we read these words. And before, before I read this to you, I mean, it's Isaiah 65, 3 through 5. You know, the, the Old Testament is that story of the nation of Israel. God chose for himself a people through Abraham. That's back in Genesis. It starts in Genesis 11 and goes all the way through to the end of the Old Testament, God and his people. And it's, it's an interesting story. It's kind of a one-way love story that God loved his people, but they kept disobeying and sinning. I mean, from the very time that they started that relationship and all the way through until we hit the end of Malachi 4, when God said, I've had enough. I've had enough. Your sin stinks. It's, it just has, has offended me. It's foul and offensive. It's offended me so much. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And so we know that God allowed them to be destroyed. The nation of Israel was destroyed. And from uh, the final destruction in 586 BC, when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, the original Solomon's temple, until um, 1948, not that long ago, there was no nation of Israel. Why? Because 
the foul stench of their sin was so offensive to God. What we have to do as Christians, as people today, is to understand it still does. And so in Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote in the 700th century, so 740, 750 B.C., about 100 years or so before Jeremiah, and then the, the final destruction, uh, 586 B.C., and then the Old Testament ends in the 400s B.C. with Micah, excuse me, with Malachi. So that's kind of a timeline. But I'm reading from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65. He said this, a people, meaning his own people, continually provoke me to my face. And I want you to also listen as I read this to our culture today. Listen to the culture today and the way the United States operates, the laws of our land. He said this, a people continue to provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens, burning incense on bricks, who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh. We know that swine, pigs were unclean, as were a number of other animals. The broth of unclean meat is in their pots, uh, more unclean animals. Dogs were unclean, by the way. Who say, keep to yourself and do not come near me. This is the people talking amongst themselves. For I am holier than you. I'm better than you are. So just keep away from me. These are smoke, smoke, stench, smoke rising up in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. God is saying this foul stench, this smoke is rising up and getting in my nose, my nostrils, and it's irritating and it's all day long because these people continue to sin and are unrepentant, unremorseful. And so we know that God hates sin. God's holy and perfect. And Genesis 1-2 created a holy and perfect world, created holy and perfect people to fellowship with him, to be with him, to, to be in relationship with him. It was all great. And then that Genesis 3 world, and that's when the stench came in. Never been one before. The stench came on the world. The stench came on us. That stink of sin and it's remained with us up until now. There's always something we can do to cure these symptoms, right? When when I started getting stuffy noses, when my children did, I became a I had a doctor in Atlanta years ago that introduced us to echinacea and butterbur and some other homeopathic things and vitamin C, which we'd already been taking. But you know, some things that were very very helpful to keep it from going further. If you, um, you you might take an antihistamine or some kind of non-drowsy antihistamine that keeps you from stopping up and going further or clears out what's there. I mean, there are things that we do to, quote, cure these stopped up stuffy noses. The same is true. And I'm going to give you a biblical analogy parallel to that as well and hope that it will help us understand how we need to think about and how we need to treat and deal with our own sin, beginning with our own sin. You know, let our own sin stink, smell first and worst, because in our own lives, it should. Then I can look at the sin of others, not to judge them, because I am not their judge. We do know that God is judge and God will hold them accountable for all that he has said. But that includes you and I as well. And so let me give you a few things that will help us understand 
what it is that helps us become that that fragrant aromas I'm going to read to here in Ephesians 5. So Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, he says this, Therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. As beloved children, we are beloved. Walk in love. We are beloved, by the way. God loves us. He loves us. Christ died for us. We're beloved children. So walk in love. There's that same thing that Jesus taught. Paul's teaching the same thing. Walk in love. John taught the same thing. Peter did. All the writers of the New Testament that were apostles. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up to you as an offering, a sin offering, but it wasn't a, a stench offering. It wasn't something that burned the nostrils of God or were foul to his smell. It says a, a sin offering, a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma, a fragrant aroma, a wonderful smell of the kind of incense that God told them they could burn. I've never been a big fan of incense. Uh, there are some, I guess, that smell okay. I remember the hippie days when Incense, you'd go in place and smell it, it'd knock you out. But there were fragrances and incenses that God told them during that uh, season of sacrifice back in the Old Testament as they're coming out of Egypt, there were incenses that they burned and they were a fragrant aroma to God. These smells were fragrant aromas to God. The burnt offerings, those were fragrant aromas to God. I, I don't know, I don't understand why, I don't understand any of that. I've read it, studied it, taught it for years. I just fall back on the sovereignty of God and what he says in his word. But Jesus Christ was a sin offering, just like we learn in Exodus going forward into the Levitical law. Jesus was that final sin offering. And it was no stench. It was a fragrant aroma. But Paul goes on, and here's where he starts to dig on to the sin in his culture and you're going to think that I am reading in 2022. He said, but sexual immorality, any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among the saints. In other words, those things, we shouldn't even be suspect of that. These things that shouldn't, we shouldn't even be called out for that ever because we're trying to live these holy and pure lives, sinless lives, because Christ lived a sinless life, and God is holy and pure and demands that. And there must be no filthiness, foolish talk, vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. In other words, let our, let our speech, as, as he said in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, except as good for um, bringing grace to the hearer according to the need of the moment. Those things that are uh, pure and healthy and good and encouraging to people. Not filthy talk, uh, foolish talk, coarse jesting, vulgar jesting or joking. That's not befitting us as Christians. As a young man, I grew up in that. As a boy, I grew up in that. And a lot of guys did. I don't know about girls. I'm a guy. I grew up in this world of guys, you know, telling dirty jokes and laughing and seeing who could tell the dirtiest joke and it didn't matter whether you were a church kid like I was or not church kid, the kind of stuff we did. And sometimes that rolls on into college and we just have filthy mouths and we think it's funny and it's not really intended as necessarily mean spirited or whatever. We just we just grew up with it. We thought it was funny and cool and other guys did it and we kept doing it. And there was a very specific point in time when the Lord delivered me from that. 
because I was absolutely in and among that and just delivered me from that. And I'm so thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. But I still see it today. And uh, a lot of guys and men that just, you know, telling dirty jokes or that coarse jesting or things with sexual innuendo and stuff. It's just how men are wired post, <laughs> post uh, the fall, if you will. But Paul said it should be none of that. There should be none of that if you're born again in Christ. You want evidence that you think that sin stinks and you're trying to clear the air, then don't let any of that be there. And he goes on to say this. For this you know with certainty that no sexually immoral, impure, or greedy person, not how he throws that, we know what sexually immoral is and perverse people. We're, our world's full of that today. It's the law of our land, by the way, to protect that kind of thing. That impure, greedy people, which amounts to idolatry, none of these people have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. None of them have an inheritance. None of them will see heaven. None of them. It's idolatry. And idolaters are not among those who are born again. And it went on to say in 2 Corinthians 2, what's pleasing and fragrant, that aromas to God. Paul wrote this at the end of a very wonderful discourse in 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 15. I'm just reading a small piece. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us reveals, through us, through you and I, through our lives lived according to his word, reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those other Christians and also among those who are perishing. The most important thing we can realize is that our own sin does stink. And not only does it stink and just disgust God in his nostrils or the way he would smell our sin, but it also turns off the world. If the world looks at us and sees us doing what everybody else is doing, caught up in all these things from foolish talk and coarse jesting and immoral, sexually immoral behavior, uh, greed, all these things that he mentions here, why would they Why would they want to know Jesus? Let's see, Jesus hadn't made any difference in your life. Why in the world would I want that? You're just like me. You're worse than me. Your language is worse than mine. Uh, that's how they look at us. We are to walk circumspect and be the fragrant aroma of Christ, not the stench of the sin that they're carrying and um, will always carry apart from relationship with Christ. But Jesus Christ made us a fragrant aroma. And ours is to live, live for Christ, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be a fragrant aroma both to our Lord and to those around us who desperately need to smell something different than the stench of the world. The second one is this. <clears throat> Dry eyes, stuffy nose, dry eyes. Now, normally, if we're following my analogy of that allergy season and, you know, the stuff that goes on springtime, whatever, we would talk about weepy, drippy eyes and itchy eyes and all that. I didn't go down that path because that's not what, what I'm talking about. That's not going to be the point of making here dry eyes. Now, there's a thing that's called dry eye syndrome, and a lot of people have it. And 
I've worked with a, a doctor years ago that made these little punctum plugs that would help keep the tears in your eyes instead of running off and draining and getting this dry eye syndrome. And a lot of people use eye drops all the time because they have dry eyes. So it's a real medical issue for some people whose eyes are continually dry. And, and we know, I mean, when your eyes, when you blink your eyes, it just feels like your eyelids are just scratching it. And so the spiritual parallel that I want to draw to this is that, again, looking at sin, our sin first, the sins of others, the sins of the world, when we see what's going on in our world and it doesn't break our hearts, rather we judge, we judge those people because their sin is worse than ours, we judge those people because of the horrible, awful things that they are doing, and it is, by the way, and they are, but God has said, look, I'm the judge, you're not. Rather, when, when we see that kind of thing or the sin in our own lives that I talked about before, I won't go back to that into detail, but when we see those things, before we talked about when we smell them, when we see those things, it ought to bring tears to our eyes. It ought to make us weep. And the problem is we get so sensitized to that that our eyes just stay dry. We get that dry eye syndrome in a spiritual sense that doesn't bother us anymore. We're not broken. We're not weeping over that. The sin in my life. Trust me, there's a, there are a lot of times when I am overwhelmed and I just break down and cry. We're going to look at that from the sin in my life weep over the sins of the world, the sins of our nation. How can you not? How can you have a dry eye? How can there be a dry eye in the house, as they used to say, when there would be a sad movie and everybody would be crying or sniffling? We've gotten to a place in our nation and our culture, and sadly too much in our church, where we have a bunch of people sitting there with dry eyes. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. The state of our nation, the state of our world in terms of the sin that just absolutely you know, shakes its fist in the face of God, that defies God, that uh, speaks horrible, awful blasphemies against our God. That ought to make us weep for their souls because they will spend eternity in hell apart from apart from a relationship, apart from someone introducing them to the only way out. And that's a relationship with Jesus. But our eyes are dry. But the worst part, the worst part, is when we can't see our own sin, how offensive it is to God, forget other people for now, how offensive it is to God, we just talked about in the smell and the stench, and yet our eyes remain dry. We have dry eye syndrome when it comes to our own eyes. Let me share a few verses with you about weeping over our own sins. David was the best at this because he was a man of sin. He was a man after God's own heart. We know that. And how that is, he just had this special relationship with God but he did all kinds of foolish and stupid things. We know that when you study the life of David, 
And so in the Psalms, there are a number of places where you can go and read about his weeping and repentance of his own sin. One of those is found in Psalm 6.6. And David said, I'm weary from groaning all night. I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. In Psalm 51, which is that great psalm of repentance, the greatest psalm of repentance in all the Bible, David, after the issue with Bathsheba, the affair, the murder of her husband, the death of the child, all those horrible, awful things that are unimaginable that were um, perpetuated by this man after God's own heart. Boy, he got it. He's weeping, said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. And he talked about the fact that when he didn't, if he didn't confess, his bones felt like they were rotting away, just burning inside his bones. He heard so much about that sin, weeping all through the night, flooding my bed with tears, weeping over our own sin. Have you ever let the Holy Spirit get the light out, get the floodlights out and shine the light in your life and just reveal all the stuff in your own life that only you know about, that only he knows about, that maybe you haven't confessed. If you've confessed those sins, listen, move on. Don't go back and visit stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he's forgiven and forgotten those sins. That's one of the magnificent, wonderful things about God and sin and forgiveness. I'm talking about that. Just talking about those times in our lives, current times or things that we've held on to that our eyes have been dry to. And when the Holy Spirit gets in there and shines the light and says, yeah, mm, what about that? And then we weep and we break down and it restores that relationship, the flooding of the tears. We can't stop crying. The same thing is true about weeping over a nation, sins of our nation. Oh, God help us, the sins of our nation, and they are many. The United States is not Israel. The United States is not some God-chosen nation of people special like Israel. That was very different. The United States is a nation that God has blessed more than any other nation, perhaps other than Israel. The United States wasn't founded by a bunch of Christians and all that. There were some Christians that were part of that. We have a very strong Judeo-Christian value system in our nation. We always have had. Our laws were based on that, going back to the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you a question. In terms of national sin, when the, when the nation that we live in, the nation that we call this nation under God, has laws, laws that, that allow the murder of babies. I was at a meeting of National Religious Broadcasters Friday, and I believe the number that they used was 70 million babies have been aborted, have been killed. Most of them black, most of them African-American babies, by the way. Where's the outrage of that? Where's the outrage from the people that are screaming about everything else? You don't hear it, do you? You don't hear that. They don't have a voice. So we are the voice. This is national sin. It's a disgrace. It spits in the face of God. It tears the pages out of his Bible. And then there's all this stuff with a sexual perversion and everything going on that gets worse and worse and worse that we've allowed not only just same-sex marriage, but now even in our schools and our children having to check boxes about, you know, what pronoun do you want to use? What gender do you want to be? It's not funny. 
It's so pathetically sad. It makes me want to weep. And I do weep. I do weep for those people for they are lost and on a straight track to hell if they don't find Jesus Christ and repent of their sin. But this is what our nation represents today. So don't get so, you know, all up in arms and patriotic and all that stuff about a nation that the people beginning in the church won't rise up and say, we need to stop that. We're no nation under God, the God with a capital G, the only God, Elion, the only God, the almighty God. We're not. We're not. When you have laws in a nation that support the things that they do, how in the world can you say that? And how can your eye be dry to that? How can your eye be dry to that? You ought to be weeping. In Psalm 119, Asaph wrote this. My eyes shed streams of tears because the people, the nation, do not keep your law. Okay, it's again, over Israel, always over Israel. Jesus, as he's going into Jerusalem, said these words, and <laughs> we got to write down the reference, but as he's going in, he said, this is now Jesus drew near going into Jerusalem, and he saw the city and just wept over it for the sin wept over it for the sin, and that verse goes on to say, because he knew what was about to happen to it. You see, Jesus was killed around 30, 30 AD, something like that. In 70 AD, the Romans had finally had enough with these miserable, pesky Jews, and they went in and they destroyed the temple, just destroyed it. Not one rock left on top of another. Do you remember Jesus said that's what was going to happen? And that's what he was prophesying. And when he looked at Jerusalem and just wept over it, he wept over the city because he knew what was coming. I weep over this nation, more the people in this nation, more this godless horde that are running our nation and creating all these laws because I know what's coming. And so do you. I can't have a dry eye when I know that these people are headed for hell. I don't hate, dislike, or anything, anyone enough to see them spend eternity in the hell of the Bible, because I know exactly what it is, because Jesus taught on hell and Satan when you put them together more than anything else except the kingdom of God, which is heaven. Why would he do that? It's a warning. It's a warning about a real time and a real place and a real future. How can you have dry eyes? How can you have dry eyes? You know what? I thought I'd get to three, but I'm not. I'm going to get to two, and we'll we'll just keep going next time. I don't want to run long, and I don't want to cut anything short. It's just too important. It's too important. You can tell that the Holy Spirit has gotten all over me about this. I didn't have anything to write yesterday. Jesus said, what are you teaching this week? And I said, I got nothing. I got nothing. I was dealing with issues in my own life, stuff. And then that time of repentance and weeping, the Holy Spirit pours these things in. And I spend all day and night just trying to prepare this and do it, do, do it justice so that God is honored and pleased with what is said. And it's worth your time to listen or to watch or to read. I hope that it is because we're done for the day. And we've only looked at two things, that, that stench of our sin. Does it really stink to you? And the, the dry eyes toward our sin and the sin of this nation, the sin of the world, where we're doing nothing. Listen, we are in a war. It's spiritual warfare. Don't ever forget that. 
we've gotten so complacent in the affluent church in America, especially, we've just gotten so complacent over the years. It's a hiding place. The church is not a hiding place. It's a place to go in and get equipped, to get encouraged and to bear arms, to understand what they are and what they look like so that we can go love the world to death, speaking the truth, never not speaking the truth, speaking the truth, even if it gets you killed. That's exactly what happened to Jesus and the disciples. And he said to them, as I shared with you, I believe last week, he said, look, they're going to hate you because they hated me. And then they're going to kill you because they killed me. What if that's true of us? What if that's true of us? It will be some. It's happening around the world today now. We know that. Christian, Christian, clear your nose and let your eyes just weep until they can't weep anymore. And if you happen to be listening or seeing part of this or whatever, however you got here through the Holy Spirit, and you are a lost and apart relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no idea what's going on. You know stuff's going on, you're scared to death, and you should be. What's going on in the world has put a lot of fear in the world, scared people to death. Why? Because they don't know what happens. What's the end look like? We know what the end looks like. We know what it looks like. We know how it ends. We know how the story ends. We win. God wins. The joy that we have is that joy of our hope. It's eternal. Not today. Doesn't matter if someone else gets elected or whatever. It doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. It continues to get worse. And there may be seasons where we call it better. Maybe the markets respond better or investments do better. But my friend, if you are struggling to understand it, God's got an answer for you. He made a way, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. And I don't care how much you hate that, that it's exclusionary and racist and bigoted. In other words, people use today that I don't even know what they mean. God meant this for you. If you're watching this now and you've heard this, um, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger of the truth of the Word of God. And so maybe I'm the last person he sends into your life. I have no idea. You may go out of here and drop dead of a heart attack. You might get hit by a bus. I don't know. I hope not. Not until you receive Christ. Because then you're ready. You're ready. So I pray that you would receive him today. Do not, do not walk away again and reject this offer of the only way to salvation, to experience the love of God in Christ. Please don't do that. God bless you. You have a great week. See you next week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.